Hey, everybody. We are back on tonight with my co-host, Steve Flink. Always looking forward to talking tennis with Steve. We are in the midst of the clay court season, and tonight's topic are Americans and clay court tennis, specifically Americans and their difficulty in winning at Roland Garros. Before we start this discussion, please remember you can submit a question to Steve and myself by emailing us at the email address of ask. David and Steve at gmail.com. Again, that's ask David and Steve at gmail.com. We've already got a, a few questions. We're going to answer one um, at the end of this segment tonight. So Steve, you ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. Looking forward to it, David. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of make this specific to Roland Garros. So um, we're going to take it back a little bit, not, not like crazy far back, but pretty crazy far back. You were a very, very young Steve Flink. We're not going to age you, but you're, you're very, very young Steve Flink. And a guy by the name of Tony Trabert won the French Open in 1954 and 1955. It then took us 34 years to win another French Open, Michael Chang, in that miraculous run in 1989. Now, in between <laughs> 1955 and 1989, we had quite a few legends in the game on the American side did not get it done specifically to name two Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe. Why has it been this hard? Well, looking at those two, David, uh, uh, John obviously came exceedingly close in his great 1984 season when he won 82 and three and he won Wimbledon in the U S open. So convincingly and, Unfortunately for him, he got to the finals of the French. He was blitzing Yvonne Lendl in that final, up two sets, and he eventually lost 7-5 in the fifth. He couldn't have come much closer. It was a up golden up. Up 4-2 in the break in the fourth. 4-2 yeah. in the fourth. Third, you know, he, he had chances early, but he really didn't have a great chance. And in the fifth, it was 15-40 on Lendl's serve at three also. There were these openings, there were these moments where you thought right to the very end that he might be able to do it. But obviously he lost his grip on the match early in the third set. So that was for him a golden opportunity he lost. Jimmy Connors skipped the French Open a bunch of years. He was actually barred in 1974 when he won three of the four majors because of, he was playing world team tennis. So he was not allowed to play. Whether he would have won it that year, we'll never know. It was Borg's first of six. But that that for him was a big opportunity lost, considering the confidence he built up over the course of that season. So who is yeah. to know? Mac McEnroe is forever, will forever lament the fact uh, and regret it that he was not able to come through in that 84 France. And Jimmy had a bunch of semis, but, you know, it was never his best service. That's the thing we have to remember, David, that the, the American players at that time were different from the likes of Agassi and Chang and. Uh, who, who we'll get to lay in, a, in a moment and in the sense that they were attacking players. So Connors used to always say, my best shots keep coming back. You don't get rewarded for your best shots. And I think Pete Sampras might have felt much the same way as well as another as a great attacking player. So there were reasons uh, why some of our great players fell short, you might say. Yeah. So just um, for the listeners, you, as you said, Jimmy did not play. Um, from 74 to 78 for various reasons. He did make the semis in 79, 80, 84, and 85. We've talked about the Johnny Mac 84 French Open final. I mean, he won a career-high 13 titles that year. I mean, it's still, it still doesn't sit well with him now. He still can't really 
come to grips with it, even when they referred to it in the commentary booth today. It's still a hard thing for him to talk about. Pete Sampras. Just a quick interjection about John, though. He, he Understandably, the focus was on him. It was his dominant season. Lendl was going to really become the sport's best player the next year. This was Lendl's breakthrough Grand Slam triumph to win Roland Garros in 84. I, I still think to this day he doesn't get enough credit because Ivan had lost four major finals. He'd lost a five-set final uh, a few years earlier, uh, you know, to Borg. And Ivan was a great clay court player. And I, I just think that he doesn't get the credit he deserves for the spectacular comeback he made uh, to beat John McEnroe that day. Yes, John, uh, John in some ways may have believed he choked it away or got distracted by the photographers or whatever it was, but it was a magnificent comeback from Lendl to pull that triumph off. And it's kind of ironic that the guy they kept knocking for not being able to win the big ones wins, wins it. And then all anybody wants to talk about is John McEnroe squandering it. So I yeah, think, I like, think um, being Americans, you're right. I think that there was more emphasis on John losing that match than there was Lendl winning it. Maybe it's um, slanted more because, you know, we're both Americans and we focused on Johnny, but agree a hundred percent with you. Major, major credit for Yvonne Lendl yeah. for, Coming yep. back and winning that match. A guy you know, obviously, very well. Your latest book, again, Pete Sampras, Greatness Revisited. Um, he made the semis in 1996. 14 majors, could not win the French. Um, now, there was a time. We got to, we, we got to 1989, right? Michael Chang, the miraculous, you know, 5'7". How much did he weigh? 140 pounds. He had the huge thighs, huge calves, miraculous Maybe, yeah. run. Maybe that maybe that 141 is dripping wet coming out of the shower too. True. I mean, you're you're right. He, 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 that was his frame. That was his size that he always had to overcome. But boy, he had he had a heart that, the size of a lion. It was just oh, and and a guy you're the guy we're speaking of right right previously, Yvonne Lendl, round of 16 match. Uh, Yvonne Lendl versus Michael Chang. There was no reason you would think Michael would come back and win that match. Michael wins a miraculous round of 16, five sets. Y'all hear about the underhand serve. You remember match point where he stood close to the service line, forcing a double fault to win the match. Um, he continued um, he basically upset pretty much everybody on the way and then beat Edberg. Uh, Just a brief addition to that too. He was also cramping so badly in the fourth so set. Badly. And, and Lendl didn't quite know. Lendl mentally, I think he froze a bit. Because rather than outmaneuver Michael and hit short angled chips off the backhand and draw him in and move him, move him around more, he, did, he tried to beat him the same way. He tried to keep hitting through him, overpowering him. And that was actually the wrong strategy, given the, uh, the uh, Chang being so debilitated and so compromised by the cramps. But that was another factor in addition to the underhand serve and, and all the, the other dramatic developments in that match. Unbelievable run by Michael. Now, now, you know, again, I said it took 34 years from Trebert um, to win his second one in 55 to Chang in 89. I can make the case we should have won four in a row. You got Chang in 89. Andre got to the final in 90, was a heavy favorite against Andres Gomez, did not play well. Um, but if Andre wins 90, then in 91, you had an All-American final in Agassi and Jim Courier. Jim wins in five, and then Jim wins again in 92. And that's, again, like what you mentioned earlier, the changing of the guard of the type of American player, um, oh, yeah. more attacking style player on clay. 
Yeah, absolutely. But the others were more traditional attackers, as was Sampras. And, and so that, that made it even more difficult for them to adapt to the slow red clay. But we should also add that at the end of that Courier run of two great wins in 91 and 2, he's up a break in the fifth set against Sergi Bergera in the finals in 93. So he could have almost won three in a row. Suddenly, American fortunes changed dramatically. Dramatically. Um, and then, unfortunately... Uh, well, we did have Andre. Okay. So, so there was a, there was a little skip 93 carrier, like you said, had a chance, but then in 1999, uh, I mean, I guess nine years after Andre should have won his first grand slam, Andre comes back, um, from his miraculous, you know, come back in the rankings from down 141. He winds up winning the French has a great 1999, insane 1999. Um, he wins the French open 1999. Great run by him beating the defending champion from the previous year, Carlos Moy. I think that was in the fourth round as well. Um, big win. Very big, big win. win. Big win. Beat Andre Medvedev in the final, being down two sets of love, not playing well, super, super nervous. Thank God the rains, uh, the, the, the storm clouds opened up. He had a little uh, meeting with Brad Gilbert. Brad, got, uh, Brad helped him right the ship. He wins it in 99, and now... Uh, we, we should just add to that uh, briefly, David, that... The remarkable thing about that is he lost the first two sets, one and two. He was getting obliterated by Medvedev. Not the Medvedev we know now. This was Andre Medvedev. Andre Medvedev. But it was a, it was a, he was getting blown off the court. And I, and I think you're right. Rain break helped and he cleared his head and eventually he really found his range. And once he did, you know, he, he really took over that match the last three sets. And so yeah, he started he playing like he did the previous way, uh, his previous rounds in the tournament. It was so unlike him, those first two sets. And I think well, but he felt, he has, I, I, I think he felt the weight that this was his last chance to win the French open. If this yeah, was it, a lot of pressure. Right. But in turn, you know, he had some slow starts and he and Moya had him down a set and, you know, he was in real trouble in that match and came back to win in four and, a tough match with her body, who was a dangerous player. Yep. So nothing was really that easy for him in that tournament. He came in, he, he, he had been reluctant to even play the tournament, but Brad Gilbert talked him into competing because he'd had a, some kind of an injury, I believe a shoulder problem. Mm -hmm. So, so that was, uh, you know, that was, that was, that was, it, maybe it was meant to be because, you know, Gilbert had to persuade him just to go there at all. And at that stage, it really did look unlikely. It looked like his 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 time had passed him at Roland Garros. That the Agassi of the early part of the decade was not the same clay court player as the one at the end of the decade. But sure enough, you know, fate turned in his direction in this case. And and I, I believe he was probably better positioned and maybe probably should have won that match with Gomez in in ninety and had a great chance against Courier the next year, which he lost in five. And yet. Then in 99, somehow he gets it done very much against the odds. But that that was that's the essential legacy. He everything he did was confounding throughout his career. And this was another example. Agreed. So from 89 to 99, we did we did quite well, right? We had Michael. Um, we had we had an all-American, we had Andre in the final in 90. We had an all-American final in 91 with Andre and Jim. 92, we had Jim winning it. 99 Andre. We did okay. Now and and as far as Pete was concerned, the 96 that you mentioned, he lost to Kapelnikov on a brutally hot day. And he, early in the beginning of May, he had lost his coach, Tim Gullickson, but he came there. And even though he wasn't as well prepared as usual, if he would have gotten out of the Kapelnikov match, and that was one of only two wins that Yevgeny ever had against Pete, 
he would have played Michael Steak in the final. It wouldn't have been a typical clay court match. It would have been two really great uh, all-around attack, more attacking players on a clay court. And I mm-hmm. think it would have been each liking to play that kind of a match. And after he'd had a bunch of five setters leading up to Kapelnikov, three of them, that that could well have been his year to take the title. It was a it was a terrific opportunity, but unfortunately for him, Kapelnikov beat him in straight sets. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I would agree. He would have loved to play. If he had to pick a person to play in the final, Michael Steak would have not been a bad opponent for Pete to play, 100%. Um, so here we are 22 years later. Andre's win in 1999. 22 years later, um, we're still trying to find someone who can get really even kind of make a, a dent deep into that second week. And just I'll give you um, some names and some stats. Andy Roddick made the fourth round in 2009. James Blake made the third round in 2006. John Isner, you, you may not think John Isner would have much success on clay because it's slow, but he has he's had quite a bit of success. He's made the fourth round in three separate years, 2014, 16, and 18. I think he also took Rafa like five sets in the first round. He one did. That was the first round, and Rafa was really about as tight as I've ever seen him because <laughs> it's so difficult to play Isner on any surface, and we saw it again uh, we see it constantly, you know, that on, on the right kind of a day on clay and the right kinds of conditions, he can still be really dangerous. And Rafa was in real trouble and, and eventually scraped it out in five. You're right. Isner, surprisingly effective on the clay. We got uh, another guy, Jack Sock, who made the fourth round in 2015. He lost to Rafa. We do have a young kid, and we've talked about him in earlier episodes on our podcast, Sebastian Corda, And he made the fourth round of 2020, just this past one. Um, he played Rafa and lost, but in his, his first real main main drop performance, French Open make the fourth round. Um, maybe he's the guy. I, I don't know. what You see anyone who, who could really make a, a consistent dent? I, I just like his whole demeanor, his whole uh, professional approach and being the son of a great player, Peter Corda, who was in the Sampras Agassi era. And Peter Korda eventually won the Australian in the late 90s. And, you know, uh, he, he was a left-hander, explosive, mercurial, totally different from his son. But his influence is clearly, you know, he's raised these daughters who are great athletes as well, not in tennis. So, I mean, and golfers. And so I think that that uh, Sebastian Korda is, is surrounded by athletic talent in his family. And he has a he has just the right temperament. And I like his game, which I think is solid all around. So, yes, he could be a factor at Roland Garros in the future. Not so much this year. I wouldn't expect him to be able to exceed what he did last year, but in the years to come, yes. I mean, consistent. And again, we haven't talked about, you know, the Alpalcas, the Fritzes, the TFOs. I mean, I'm talking consistently deep runs at Roland Garros in the future. I, I just don't know who we got, unfortunately. Um, but Sebastian may be uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. So let's hope uh, – Let's hope his game just keeps on developing because he's already so good and so solid. So um, we shall see. And it's just a weird, it's just so difficult to win this tournament. And, you know, recently it's unfair. There's one guy who has a stranglehold on the event. And that's that's obviously Rafael Nadal. He's won 13 titles. He's had a hundred wins and only two losses. And, you know, I mean, one of the, uh, the big three, we talk about the greatest of all time, Roger Federer. He has won again. He's made, finals quite a few losing to Rafa, but he has one and he didn't have to beat Rafa in 2009. Um, Rafa lost that one of his two losses to Robin Soderling that year. It's just so hard. And you, it, you just got to be so fortunate to, 
to win this tournament. So many great, great legends have had difficulty winning. And, and you mentioned Roger, and then you look at Novak, who I think is even, I would regard him as even a slightly better, it's a, it's a debatable point, but I would, I would say he's a slightly better clay court player than Roger based on his overall record. Not just at Roland Garros, but in Rome and Madrid and all these other places. He's, he's, um, his, his record is superior to Roger's on the European clay. But look at him. He's lost three finals to Rafa, including last year. He lost him also in 12 and 14. And he lost one to Stan, a very red-hot Stan Babrinka in 2015. So Novak has had to settle for only the one French Open crown himself so far. And it could turn out that way. Rafa's again, had the a second st- loss that the second loss that Rafa had was to Novak. So Soderling and Novak were the only people. Yeah, but Rafa wasn't able to win the. I mean, uh, Novak wasn't able to win the title that year. That was the disappointment to him. So that's when he ended up losing to Stan. Yep. So it's just an interesting tour. It's it's its own universe. I think it's it's interesting to have so many great great players um, struggle and and not be able to. Again, it's unfair. The last you know 13, 15 years because you got one guy. Uh, having a stranglehold on it, but just as we kind of outline the history of it, especially from an American perspective, it's, uh, it's definitely challenging. I want to um, kind of get off of the history topic, especially with Americans, but um, just to timestamp when we're recording this, we're recording this in the middle of the Madrid event right now. Um, but I know you and I wanted to talk about a tremendous Barcelona final between Rafael Nadal and Stefanos Tsitsipas took three hours and 38 minutes. Rafa wins 6-4, 6-7, 7-5. Rafa had match points in that second set, didn't convert, got back in the third set. I know you, uh, I know you have some thoughts on that, and I'm also going to give you a hint. It's going to lead into one of our first questions from our fans of the program. Sure. Well, I think that was sort of been – I think that that match was sort of – it was evidence once more, David, of the brilliance of the way the game was conceived, how the original scoring system is held up so well because there's no clock in tennis and you, you cannot run out the clock, obviously. And leads can seem so uh, leads that look look uh, like they can't be insurmountable. insurmountable yeah. odds and you still can come back. And here's here's an example of it. Uh, Sitsipas had a nice break lead in the first set, almost up two breaks, still led 4-2. Rafa got back to four ons, and Sitsipas still had break points at four all, three of them, 15-40 and an ad, couldn't break them. Rafa wins the set, 6-4. Then second set, Sitsipas was up a break again, 3-1 early, but Rafa had those match points with Sitsipas serving at 4-5, but it wasn't much Rafa could have done on either Stefanos attacked on both match points and eventually he won it in a really tight tie break on a, a Rafa, a crucial double fault near the end from Rafa. Mm. And, but then in the third, Stefanos has the match point and Rafa almost miraculously saved it. You know, I mean, he was in real trouble. The return was about an inch from the baseline by Stefanos and then his next shot went into Rafa's backhand corner, big forehand into Rafa's backhand corner and Rafa somehow got it back down the line and kind of clipped the net cord and he ended up winning the point and came all the way back to win 7-5 in the third. So both, whoever lost that match was going to be heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. I mean, 4-2 in the first set and 3-1 in the second against uh, mere mortals. You're looking at maybe a straight set victory. But again, when you have an opposition well, off the on the Nadal. Absolutely. But then you also were looking at very likely a straight set victory for Nadal if yeah. Stefanos step up so boldly when he, in saving the match points by getting to the net. So... 
it was it was a remarkable match. I don't think either man at their very best, but they were playing at an ex extremely high level. And it could have been a very big win for Stefanos because he'd beaten Rafa from two sets down at the Australian Open. Big, big win in the quarters over there in Australia. And uh, if he'd followed up with a win on the clay, not, nonetheless, I think it's encouraging for him that he took him down to the wire, pushed him to the hilt, and Rafa only squeezed it out from match point down. So that, that's going to be a fascinating rivalry looking forward. And it would certainly be interesting if, if uh, Tsitsipas played Rafa at Roland Garros in the semis or finals. Boy, I would, I'd, I'd want to see that one. Well, we're getting right, right before that. That leads perfectly to a question. But before we get to a, that fan question, um, I just keep thinking to myself, and we all talk about this, you know, Roland Garros, a different animal. It's best of five. You're talking here three hours and 38 minutes for three sets. And Stefanos, how great he played. I mean, he'd still need to win two other sets against Rafa if this was in the slam. It's, it's unbelievable how hard it is to beat this guy. You're right. You're right. But that one was, as three set matches go, they don't get more taxing or exacting than that one was. And as you say, for three hours, 38 minutes. So, And he didn't look to me to be physically fatigued. He looked a little mentally fatigued at the end. But even after the match point eluded him, the last two games were really hard fought and he had chances and break point in the last game and a game point on his own serve in the previous game. So those, it was so hard fought to the bitter end. You just and know I, there's a finish line in two out of three. And when you think it's three out of five, you're like, oh, my God, I still have so much more. To well, go. It, it, it does make it really important that you get on the board those first two sets. you got to win one of those first two and preferably the first set. But I do think that physically he held up quite well and, and mentally as well. And so I, I'm not too worried about him uh, lasting the five sets. He's one of those guys who I think physically could stay with Rafa. The question to me is, could he? Will he be able to come through in the crunch if they do go down to the wire again in Paris? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And this leads beautifully to uh, we got we got several questions in our mailbox. Again, if you want to ask Steve and myself a question, uh, email us at askdavidandsteve at gmail.com. We'll uh, we'll be glad to, to review the questions and answer them for you. So here's our first one. And it feeds beautifully into the Sitsipas Rafa um, matchup. So here we go. I'll just read it and then I'll let you answer it. Big fan here with a question for an upcoming pod. We all know no one is betting against Rafa three out of five at Roland Garros. By the way, I should mention this is from David Z. He's a big fan of the pod. He's been with us uh, from, from day one. He's been with me from day one since I started it. So um, here's his question. If we had to pick the biggest threat to him taking his Grand Slam title number 21 in June, would you put Tsitsipas at the top of the list? Feels like he has the belief and the fitness to maintain the type of level he showed today in Barcelona over five sets, not just three. Excuse me. Was a very tough out last October at Roland Garros against Novak and knows he can beat Rafa in a big Grand Slam match, albeit with no fans in Australia. Could be a compelling argument given Stefanos doesn't have to carry the scar tissue of losing to Rafa at Roland Garros in the past that Novak and Dominic Thiem had. I'll look forward to listening to your response. Well, I think he, I would say to Dave, his name is David. Yeah. His name is also David. It's not for me. I promise. This was a fan. <laughs> I would say to David that a very good case could be made. I, I would put, I would put it pretty much on a par. I'd put on, I'd have Sitsipas, Djokovic and, and team. His team has been so great at Roland Garros. Now the question is going to be with him. 
can he reemerge now after this difficult start to the year? Really, it's been a difficult time for him in many ways ever since the U.S. Open last year, although he very nearly won the year-end championships in London. But all, all, not a good start to the year. Seems to be revitalized as we talk right now at, at the start of his bid to try to win Madrid. But I think he needs some good results there and certainly hopefully in Rome. And then I would still put him, he's such a great clay court player and he's beaten Rafa in, so, in a bunch of other clay court tournaments, not Roland Garros. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and he had the experience of playing him in the finals, and, and it was a tough one for him in 19. I think physically he, he was a little worn out from a five-set semi with Novak, so that really hurt him. They played over two days. Rafa had a, a typical day of rest after beating Roger in the other semi, so that hurt Dominic. But I would say Djokovic, because of his just great all-surface, all-around experience, who knows how to win majors and who's won the Roland Garros before, and team who's been knocking on the door at Roland Garros. In some ways, it's surprising that he got to the U.S. Open title first before this. And then now, for the reasons that David states, yes, he doesn't have any baggage in terms of Nadal at Roland Garros. He also does have that lift of beating him in a five set, seven, five in the fifth. Now, Rafa may have been slightly out of shape by his standards because of the pandemic. There were factors that he was hurt before the Australian Open, so his training got uh, disrupted, but nonetheless, to beat him, you know, to beat him down to the wire, seven five in the fifth there, to stay with him for three hours thirty eight minutes on the clay in Barcelona, there's some encouraging signs that physically he has, he can do it. So I would say I would put all three on the top flat platform, but I wouldn't mind if David said no. I'm putting Stefanos at the top and the other two just below. That's a good answer. How, how about this one? I, I, I'll ask you one. If you had to put money on it, and we don't gamble on this podcast, trust me, we don't, invo- we don't endorse any of that. But if you had to uh, place a bet on this, would Stefano Tsitsipas, is he going to be number one in the world at some point in his career? Oh, I, always, I, I, don't, I don't have much doubt at all about that. He, he's, so, he's such a great all-around player, a spectacular shot maker, hard worker, deeply driven. A serve that I think is going to get a great deal better. Real gifts off the ground. And this ability to come forward that actually is more natural than some of the other guys like, say, a Zarev or a team or some of the other guys that are going to be at or near the top with him. So I think the game is there. I think the temperament's there. I think he's going to be very near the top this year. And uh, But I think in the years to come, I, I'd be very surprised and not only get to number one, but end a year or two or more at number one. I, I think I think he's the real deal to borrow to borrow a cliche. Can't do any better than that. And I just think he uh, he has that kind of incredible motivation to to back up the talent. Yeah. It, it, and you can see, David, the losses, they really kill him. They really, you know, he, he, he philosophizes over them. He he. He's he's goes into dark moods because of them. But I think that's healthy because I think he, he's finding out just how much he wants to be a, an all time great. You're not going to get argue, any argument from me. And I don't think you're going to get any argument from a lot of tennis fans who follow the sport. So thank you for uh, this discussion. Again, we'll I'm thinking we'll definitely do some sort of French Open preview. Definitely during the tournament, we'll do a. Uh, a pod as well. So um, we still got Madrid. We still got um, Rome. And then obviously Roland Garros pushed back um, one week. But um, as far as uh, uh, all is concerned, there may be some limited capacity in crowds, but uh, 
green light for this event to go. So we're all excited. Thanks again. Thanks, David. I enjoyed it.